Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Thank you for joining us on another exciting episode of the Ripstop on the Record podcast. I'm Carter. It's Jay. Hi, everybody. Jameson. Yeah, so uh, up this week, uh, we have a pretty exciting discussion um, that I'm ready to get into. Um, so podcast before last, uh, Kyle and I were doing a, a customer Q&A, and we had Michael Crane send in a, a really awesome question that we felt like could be a separate pod recording cast. And so, yeah, I'm going to read that question and then we're going to, we're going to get into uh, the stuff that excites us about it. Right. Right. We're getting kind of, we're, we're trying to simplify, but also getting down and dirty on, on fabric applications. So, I mean, it's like the hardest thing to do as a DIYer is, is look at your project and then figure out what out of the I don't know, is it 350 fabrics that we have? Which one is going to best suit your job? And that's what we're Yeah, I think it's a really here. good uh, good question that Michael posed. Basically, what he says is, I'd love to hear a conversation about fabric choice. Uh, that stumps me so much of the time when working on a project. Uh, for instance, like, why choose still poly versus still nylon? Um, another thing I want to get into is maybe what, what uh, fabric might I choose for a specific project? Like, what is the best hammock fabric or what is what should I use to make a wallet and what of the options that I could make a wallet out of uh, are the best and why? And just some of those questions that I know um, a lot of listeners out there and a lot of our customers have that it's, it's a little bit nuanced and it's a little bit difficult to get a straightforward answer on that through an email from customer service or from reading an article. I think this topic is best served uh, for two people talking about it. And in this case, uh, one thing that's exciting is that Jameson is a, recent hire uh, for us here at Ripstop and he kind of, yeah, he, he kind of jumped right into DIY and has made more stuff than I've made in the past six months by far. Um, so he is coming in uh, in a similar, uh, he has a similar methodology and thought process as most of our customers right now. So he can really represent uh, a lot of the things that, uh, a lot of the questions that, that you guys probably have. Yeah, I was one of the uh, lucky few to get the Rona, but not just get the Rona, but get the Rona in a very minor way. So I had to quarantine for two weeks. So I just made an unbelievable amount of things over two weeks while also not being very sick. So like I said, the, the lucky few not to play, uh, not not to make a joke on an overall incredibly serious topic that is coronavirus. Yeah, you're a terrible person. But also, I will say this, um, this guy's focus and the amount of sheer product that he has pumped out of his home sewing machine is baffling and somewhat scary. So every week he comes into the office and he's like, oh yeah, I made a backpack. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like you like drew one up and you're gonna sew it. Oh no, I went start to finish on a full backpack design. And then I made a bike bag. And then also uh, I, uh, I'm thinking about making this rain jacket. And then um, yeah, uh, you have a problem, James. I think that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And everyone agrees with me. I, I don't, I don't really know how to respond to that. I, I guess I can say I really hate leaving things undone. Like I don't, I, I don't enjoy the feeling of knowing that there's a, a project kind of hanging over my head. I want it to, I want it to be done as soon as I start it. 
I mean, I, I enjoy the process. I, I know like process orientation is very important to me, but I don't like the feeling of having it just not be done. So I want to crank it out. And also it's probably kind of the honeymoon phase of DIY, but it's just freaking fun. Like if I have a new idea of a new way I want to design a pack or a new bike bag that I want or a different kind of whatever it is, then I just want to go. Sure. I think that's fair. I think I would say that there is some aspect of DIY that does have a honeymoon phase, but I think the beautiful thing about making your own stuff is that in some ways, every project feels like the honeymoon because you always get the same sense of pride when you're done. Like it's always, it's, it's more, it's less like a phase and it's honestly kind of more like a getting your fix a little bit because like, for instance, a good example, like I've made countless backpacks and tarps and helped tons of people make their own gear and design patterns and uh, tested products for companies. Um, and I've gotten to a point where a lot of the time I'm just like, ah, fuck this. Like, I'm just going to buy it. I want to support the cottage vendor. I already know I can make it, but I'd rather just buy it because they can probably do it better than me. But even though like a lot of people might disagree with that, uh, with that thought process, there are still times where I make something or something as simple as like the crotch blew out in my pants the other day <laughs> while at work, no one noticed, but I was able to sew that up myself, uh, you know, in, in the gear room upstairs. And that still gave me that same sense of like, Oh, that kind of pulled me back in. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to make something else. Like I'm going to keep going. So no matter, I think the cool thing about DIY is no matter where you're coming from or what your expertise level is, there's something that appeals to everybody, um, which is why it's exciting for, for all creeds. Uh, so one thing that we forgot to do, and yet again, I failed on is that one thing that I, I've been wanting to do for every one of these podcasts is crack open a, a delicious craft brew. Cause it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, that's a disguised way of saying I have a problem. Um, but I forgot again to get some of my favorite Durham and local craft beers. So Jameson had to pick up some beer from the gas station. Um, so today we are consuming the high ally IPA from cigar city, which is a good brew, but, um, I saw the Cigar City Brewing logo and I was like, perfect. I'm going to get this because it's a local brew. I got the box, brought it here, looked at the can and it said from Tampa, Florida. And I was like, well, everything, the whole reason I got this whole box was because I thought it was local. And meanwhile, I, I completely So failed. I failed, but let's crack this open. And then uh, uh, I'm excited to get started. The first thing that we're going to talk about um, now that we've kind of laid the background for our different uh, perspectives here is what... What is the best fabric for a hammock? I think this is a question that I see constantly, consistently, and one that I have a pretty uh, pretty strongly opinionated answer on because hammocks for me are my um, sleeping, I feel like I've said methodology like nine times, but maybe not. My sleeping methodology of choice uh, for backpacking is to use a hammock system. Um, so I've spent lots of years of research on making hammocks and uh, stuff about them. So I'm excited because in this case, I'm still trying to convince Jameson to actually sleep in one. So we're trying to get a backpacking trip together so that he can enjoy the beauty that is a, uh, a sky camp experience. First, first things first. Okay, there it is. Okay, now it's open. Yeah. Uh, so Fun fact, one of my first, I believe it was the second week I was working here at Ripside by the Roll, Carter and I, uh, Carter came over to my office late in the day, or my cubicle rather, uh, it's a little, little overzealous there, my cubicle late in the day, and we started talking about why why Carter chose his sleep system. I knew he was an ultralight guy, I am not 
exactly an ultra light person. So I was just asking him, I was like, why, why do you feel so conscious about the weight that you're the, why not, not about the weight as a whole, but why do you feel so conscious about like small, small versions of weight, like the, the smallest little version that you could cut or where you would cut that? Why do you feel so strongly? All that to say, we ended up talking like an hour, I think, uh, from that conversation. And then since then, pretty much most most days that we're in the office together since then but that started it and that's where I, I first kind of understood the passion behind not only ultralight but also why hammocking feeds into that because I had a kind of a preconceived notion that you couldn't get a hammock system lighter than you could like a bivy or a tarp system yeah and I think uh one of the arguments that I always make when people say that is technically you're probably correct right like although I'm super weight conscious and I am uh super into uh calculating the minutia of different different parts of my base weight for me hammocks will always be a little bit heavier because you could use like a a dyneema tarp like a tiny dyneema tarp and sleep on the ground and be protected um you could carry a quilt or a, a small closed cell phone pad and be comfortable plenty of people that hike way more than i do use that as their system and they're comfortable and they're fine but for me, there is a trade-off, and uh, one of my one of my friends and uh, previous owner of Bonefire Gear Hammocks uh, has this has this term that he used to describe his products, which is flexible minimalism. And so I've kind of embodied that as my philosophy as well for how I do things and select gear. Um, I want to be as minimal as possible, but I also want to be flexible to let myself have a good time, right? So hammocks to me in almost every way are more comfortable than sleeping on the ground, whether you have an inflated pad or no matter what you're doing, unless you're in the desert, which is fine. That's why you need a lot of gear. Um, hammocks are just better. So with all that being said, uh, I will explain what my, why, what fabric I would choose for a hammock and why are you ready for this? I will question you as the amateur I am. Perfect. So here's what I'll say to this question. And I'm sorry, I wish this was more straightforward, but this is one, like I said, I'm very opinionated on. The answer to this is that there isn't one. There is no perfect hammock fabric. There is no. The worst. <laughs> All to hear, there isn't. But one. there isn't, right? So part of the reason why this, why uh, Michael's asked this question is because sometimes this is difficult. And I mentioned earlier that this is super nuanced and that's true. Um, but I will explain why certain fabrics might be better for certain people uh, because there, there are differences there. Um, so in general, as you go up in uh, weight per square yard of uh, fabric, you tend to experience a more supportive and firmer lay, right? So it's kind of similar to how you might have a soft mattress versus a firm one. Uh, this is a similar concept. Um, also, as you go up in weight, you're also in general experiencing more longevity in your product. So if you had a fabric like a 2.2 hex 70 versus 1.2 mountain uh, hybrid XL, and all the other, I don't know, there's so many damn different things after that, but that fabric that we know and love, um, in general, depending on the weight of the user, you will probably see more life out of the Hex 71. That's not to say that the 1.2 doesn't have a long life and uh, in with the proper, in following our comfort guidelines and stuff like that, that it won't last a long time. But basically for most of these, what you'll find, I think, for most of these different topics, what you'll find is that you're really trying to find this equilibrium between uh, durability and weight and cost. And you're trying to take those and figure out 
uh, for every product for every project that you have you're you're taking those and you're saying okay for this for this item which is the most important and then you you're basically just kind of like ranking those and that's how you're going to choose your fabric um so for hammocks for me i really like uh, the 1.7 mountain like i think that's a, an awesome all-around fabric it's it's light i also like a little bit of width in the hammock because i think well for me i'm, I'm a bigger dude um some people would say i'm thick with two c's shout out grandma um um but i think that in general it's nice to have a little people that are short i'm six one so people that are shorter than me can probably get away with the normal 58 inch wide once it's hemmed hammock um, but i like to have just a little bit more but like i talked about earlier there's this flexible minimalism concept so instead of taking the mountain at its current width, which is like 76 inches, which would be great to have maybe in your house to sleep in, um, you don't need all that width. You just don't. Um, and sometimes it can actually be detrimental if you have a quilt that's a rectangle that you're trying to lay on the diagonal and get a, and have it seal. So I cut that down. Do you know, so I, I'm the, the, type of, the type of hammock experience that I have is like the first hammock I bought was from a TJ Maxx was like $15, right? Because I was like, oh yeah, I want a hammock. I just kind of want to test it out. So, but that's, it's kind of like the Eno knockoff, right? So with that Eno and base, like what would, what would your hammock width compared to like an Eno double nest or like a single nest? Are they similar in width? Are they much wider? What would that look like? Just for somebody that, who has experience in a hammock, but only in like an Eno style, an Eno style, not in a backcountry style. First off, uh, I'm now interested in uh, the next line of Emo hammocks that all have a uh black fingernails and uh, wallets with chains on them. But um, actually, uh, let's go ahead and make a kit out of that. The emo hammock's like all black with black ridge line, black continuous loops, awesome. black under quilt. Uh, so to compare those, number one, so in general, I think that the main issue, um, firstly, I'll say, I'm not the type of person to say like, oh, emo hammocks are super shitty and they have no purpose because although I would never choose that and I would hope that most people wouldn't purchase that um, after doing some research. I also understand that they have like, A, I think they'd still bring people to the outdoors, which is awesome. And they still get people interested in hammocks. Um, and for some people that's like, that's their entry point in. So I, I respect them for that. Um, but in general, the first problem there is that, the first problem there is that they're way too short. So uh, for instance, I would recommend that basically everybody goes with a 10 or 11 foot hammock. Uh, 11 foot being like the standard for most uh, for most vendors, that's what they're going to carry. If you're a little bit shorter, a 10 foot hammock's fine. You're still going to get a nice diagonal, uh, save a little bit of weight if you if you're into that. Um, uh, I mean, any uh, it, most cottage vendors out there that are selling a, a gathered in hammock, uh, likely um, with a net or or without a net. Either way, like most of the cottage hammocks, I would say actually probably all of the cottage ham gathered in hammocks are. 10 or 11 feet or bigger. Okay. So if we, uh, so we could almost refer to like the Eno styles, like a recreation hammock, just again, not that this is a, a, an industry standard, but for this conversation, like a recreation hammock, somebody, someone that finds one gets it for Christmas. They're like, this is cool. I want to throw it up, read a book in it. And then maybe we can refer to like these hammocks, like the one that you're referring to about how you use a backcountry as like technical backcountry hammocks. How would you refer to those just for this conversation? So I think what I see most people, I don't, I mean, I think they're all just different pieces on the spectrum because, you know, I'm a holistic guy. But uh, I think most people call them camping hammocks. Like, so they would, they, would, they would delineate that as being camping versus recreational. So I think Eno does have a place. I think that's a good point. Like, Eno has a place for, like, 
people that are in college, or if you just want to string it up or like for your kids, or if you just want to have a hammock, but you're not, you know, you're not really into it. Like, it's totally fine to have that. Um, but for like actual comfort and like what turns a lot of people away, which is frustrating for me as someone who's like a diehard hammock guy is when you get in that thing and you're like uh, our coworker, Derek, who is taller than me and he gets in uh, his Eno and he has it strung up in the way that they've told him how, but is incorrect. And he's uncomfortable and feels claustrophobic. Like I, I, that part sucks because he could be in like a, a palatial, wonderful, beautiful 1.7 mountain cut down to 64 inches wide. Um, see, I know the exact width because I do it the same way every single time. Sometimes 62 if I'm feeling frisky. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, like although I I don't knock you know hammocks, I do think that that industry and their lack of education is responsible for a lot of people's poor experiences with hammocks. Uh, so I'm glad that we're able uh, to like empower people to make their own stuff so they can find out for themselves. Like, Oh, it's, it's way better to do it this way. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the main difference with the, Eno. so like the double nest, Eno is wide as shit. I don't know how wide it is. It's probably, over, it's probably, it might be around 76 inches wide. I mean, it's really wide, but it's like nine feet long. So it's just too short. Like if you try to lay in it and if you use a structural ridge line, which we'll do another podcast for sure on hammocks in, in general. Um, uh, but if you hang it up with the structural ridge line and you're approximately 30 degree hang angle and all that stuff, like, uh, like most people would recommend, you, you're not going to like it. You're going to be sad. It might be okay, but. So just again, for comparison, because I think a lot of people are coming from recreational hammocks. What would a, what would a, an Eno's fabric most likely be? Is that a, uh, sil poly, sil nylon, not even, is it a cheap ripstop? What, what is that? What, for somebody that's not really gotten their hands on everything, when they're feeling that, what are they feeling versus what you would have? Yeah. So, um, the Eno fabric, I think I'm sure it is most of, most of NARS, just like a super cheap parachute nylon. Um, that's really, really stretchy. The hand feel kind of feels like, uh, not good. And I think one cool thing about, uh, what, uh, ripstop's been able to do is basically take, take people's feedback and, and the things that we want to see in hammock fabrics and make, hammock specific fabrics because you know Kyle alluded to this in the first podcast for the longest time people were going to Joanne fabrics or wherever Hancock uh I guess I'll plug them you're welcome guys for the for the uh free ads there um Carter at Ripstop by the roll if you want to send royalty by the way they like that was what was available like a 1.9 ounce Ripstop that was probably not breathable and felt like a trash bag to now where we're able to customize and build our our own fabric from scratch for exactly like and add different characteristics to whether using different yarns or different finish or different thread count like taking all these things together and being able to compile different fabrics that will suit different people's needs and that's why you know i kind of gave the cliffhanger uh, about or it's not really a cliffhanger. I don't know what the word is for whenever I, well, I do know what the word is, but I don't think I'm allowed to say it. I call that, I call that honey dicking. Whenever you say like, you make somebody think you're going to like say something really important and then you just don't, I don't know if that's okay to say. I think it probably is. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Perfect. So yeah, like, so for instance, a, a good example of this with some inside stuff for the people listening, um, we have the airwave material, 1.8 airwave. Uh, which is something that Kyle and I worked on for, for a long time. And we were really excited about it. 
and we tested it thoroughly and we had a lot of stuff coming in and I was excited about it. And then we got it in. So, uh, sorry to backtrack a little bit. Airwave is an air textured yarn fabric, which is different than any other hammock fabric out there because that also not only does, uh, the way basically like little, it's air textured because like little jets put like little puffs of air on the, on the yarn as it's being made and change the texture. So it feels like almost like a Hanes cotton t-shirt, which is awesome. Like that's what you want to sleep in. Um, and so we developed this fabric. We were really excited about it. And I got like the first four yards and I sent it to dream hammock. They're the best. Randy, Deanna, I love you guys. Uh, and they made me a hammock up and they sent it back. And I, you know, I took it to a hang. Um, but before I took it to the hang, I laid in and at home in the gear room and I was like, Oh shit. I hate it. I hate, I literally, I called Kyle at like 8.30 PM and I was like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like everything, like feeling it, it feels great. But when I get in it, I just hate it. It like sticks to me. Like it has a lot of texture. Right. So for me, I got in it wearing like whatever I wore that day to work. So like a kilt and, uh, okay, that's not true. I was probably wearing like some, some Nike joggers and like a, just a regular shirt. And when I got in it, it like gripped my clothes and kind of pulled me. So I was just stuck where I was. Velcro almost. Yeah. And so I was like, Ooh, this is, Ooh, uh, no, no, no. So I called him and he's like, no, no, no. Like, I know that you hate it, but you need to realize that for 50% of the population of hammockers, they're going to love this. And I think that's the cool thing about the different fabric options that we have is that I don't like Airwave. I'm sorry, Kyle and, and others that love it. I don't like it. I think it feels good in my hand, but I don't like the way it feels when I lay in it. But when I took it to this hang, I was super nervous. I'm like, oh shit, like I had Dream Hammock make this for us. Like we're trying to represent their brand and we're gonna show it to people and they're gonna get in it and I'm gonna see their frown and I'm gonna have to like try to convince them. And then the first like 17 people that got in it were like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever been in. And I was like, oh, I've never been more glad to be wrong in my life. Um, but I tell that story just to say that like, that's the cool thing about what we're doing is that we can, you can have a fabric that I hate and that you love, but simultaneously that makes it very difficult to actually choose what you want for your project, which is why I recommend ordering samples. And Jameson, I want to help uh, whittle this down a little bit. So there, there's a lot there. So with with hammock fabrics, I'm going to give you a quick fire set here. Um, quick tidbit here: we have a blog on the website that's called the eight best fabrics for hammocks or the eight best ha hammock fabrics. Um, go check that out because that'll kind of give you what Carter's about to say in an, in another way written by or by Avery. But Carter, roughly here, um, what is the best, uh, the the lightest hammock fabric? What's your go-to ready shoe? Uh, lightest meaning like lightest that I would use. So for sir, for clarity, I I, I vacillate between two hundred pounds and like mm, uh, like two hundred pounds and like two hundred and forty-five pounds. So I. The cool thing and the sad thing is that I represent a lot of different users uh, because I've tried the same fabrics at pretty drastically different weights, which gives me, I'm the one that normally sets a lot of our comfort ratings because I've tested them at different weights or pretty, like pretty similar. I, I also have compared them against each other at different weights. Are you asking what is the lightest fabric that we carry or what is the lightest one that I would uh, use or like, what do I... What is the best lightest fabric? Is that what you're asking? 
somebody's most concerned feature was lightweight. They wanted to, they wanted a camping outdoor, like wilderness hammock, but the lightest fabric was the one they wanted. What would you, uh, what would you say? That uh, so my choice for that easily, no, no question at all would be the 1.0 mono light. I mean, that stuff, not only is it cool as hell and it looks great, um, but it's actually really supportive for its weight and it's, it's surprisingly durable. I think it's definitely, when you get down into those weights, it's, we've kind of moved away from doing like sub one ounce or even one ounce hammock fabrics in general, because they are durable enough. But like we talked about, sometimes the longevity is uh, not the same as it would be in, in a higher denier. But that's the fabric I would pick for sure. Okay, cool. All right. So moving on, because we spent quite a bit of time on hammocks. Um, that's the lightest weight. What is the most durable fabric you would choose. If, if durability, again, these are all, if the, if the most important feature was this, the thing, you know, fill in the blank. If durability was the most important, what hammock fabric would you choose? Uh, sure. Uh, one thing I do want to point out real quick, uh, I know I get excited about hammocks and I promise I will give the same amount of passion to all of the other topics. Um, but I knew this was going to be uh, uh, an important one for me is it, if you'll notice even 1.0 monolite, it's also a material that comes in a wider width because to me, that's always important. Um, but that's also just because of my size in general. But as far as the most durable fabric I've had, I've tried them all clearly. Um, and I think the 2.2 hex 70 is a really awesome fabric. Like it's pretty bomb proof, um, but it's not uncomfortable. It doesn't feel like, I think in general, the, the lighter the fabric, the softer it is obviously, um, or maybe not obviously, I don't know. But uh, that's, a, that's a sweet fabric. I've used that a lot, especially for people that are on a little bit, either they prefer a firm, supportive hammock or they are on the larger end of uh the people out there they're going to prefer that um so yeah 2.2 hex 70 solid material also comes in wide that's my choice for that okay and then winter fabric summer fabric what would you say um so in general i would say that that is not there so in general i would say that that there is no such thing as a winter fabric versus a summer fabric. I think that's, that's something that, uh, not roasting or anything, but something that somebody would ask that's, that isn't experienced in using a hammock, um, because your, your warmth and your comfort in the outdoors outside of like how the hammock feels to you comes from your insulation and your shelter, not from the fabric you're using. Now, the only difference there being that I would not choose 1.0 monolite that I just talked about because specifically that fabric is like it looks it's like it's super breathable like it's almost as breathable as bug mesh so it's see-through and although it would still be fine because you're still going to be insulated uh, i choose that fabric in the summer because it gives me a little better it gives me a little better airflow um, but yeah i don't i don't think there is such a thing i think you pick the fabric that for your hammock design and your body and is the most comfortable for you um, and you use that the triad that i'm talking about of durability weight price and maybe there's even a fourth one uh, of like preference which kind of sucks because it, it's, it's really nice to be able to make a few different hammocks and, and try them out which covid is around right now so hang hammock hangs are not really a thing but that's that's where a lot of people are going to be able to try out a, a bunch of different fabrics and know what they like before jumping right in but hopefully we can hopefully this podcast and the other uh, content that we've created and will continue to create will help people be able to figure out what they want to make without having to try 700 hammocks and have a, a dedicated gear room and have a spouse that despises them and um, spends thousands of dollars uh, and 
not speaking from experience there. Totally, totally same. Uh, I'm glad I kind of subconsciously alluded to that because I, I don't know much about hammocks. Like I don't, I, I wasn't, I was not aware what I was asking, but that's, I'm kind of glad I did ask that because I think that represents some people as well. Just for the sake of comparison, again, I'm speaking as somebody that literally has like an Eno style and no kill have Eno, you know, it's not shitting on them, but for comparison so that people are aware of things that they have felt or they have seen, the standard Eno double wide is 74 inches wide, I read, and they have like a 70D nylon taffeta. So again, just for comparison, so you know what that is compared to what we're talking about. That's the width, that's the feeling, 70D nylon. Um, that's again, that's just for comparison. They're not better or worse. It depends on what you're looking at doing. All right. So transitioning, that's a, that's a little bit on hammocks. And by a little bit, he means way too much. And I'm sorry, but not sorry. It's both a little bit because it was only 10 minutes and you could probably do like a master class that was like 17 hours long on this. And also a lot more considering how much we were thinking we were going to spend. Talk dirty to me. I would love to do that. And we will do that. Like, like I said, uh, I would love to have maybe some, from some different, maybe do a round table with some different hammock people out in the industry and, and talk to them about how they come up with their designs and what, what's next. And that's something that I would be really excited to do, but I think this is a good time also to transition into the next topic, which is what is the best fabric for a tarp? So I know specifically that you've made a tarp for sure, because I've seen it and I also made fun of it. So I know that you've done it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was one of the quarantine uh, jobs that one of my, so I got this job at Ripstop of the Roll because one of my buddies debating singer's name or not, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to give him that much credit. You know who you are, but he wanted to make a tarp and he, saw he found rips up by the role as a company he's like hey they burst their base in durham you should go you should go for apply, apply for a job there so entire credit to him unfortunately hate giving him credit anywhere that credit is due so he he wanted to build a tarp so we were talking about it we were talking about the fabric uh and everything like that um so yeah that was one of the first things i made because i was like if this guy made it i can certainly make one if he made one but i ended up using um which is partially true, partially not true. Sorry, John. But uh, so yeah, I ended up making a tarp that was uh, six feet wide by eight feet long. That was the one six hyper D. Uh, and this was one six hyper D PU 4000, I would assume. Because if you made it out of, <laughs> oh God. No, 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 so no, no, one no. six hyper D to be clear for our listeners out there is not a waterproof material in any way and is actually a specialized hammock material. Um, so yeah, you f fuck that up. But I would say that that's okay. <laughs> And I think your experience there and a reason why uh, it's awesome for us to get to talk about this is that you didn't know you tried to like make your best decision there. And because it's difficult to decide like what fabric should I use for this and why you ended up picking quite possibly the dumbest thing you could pick. And it, sorry, by the way, if you're listening to this and you have made um, a tarp out of one six hyper D uh, I forgive you, but <laughs> you definitely shouldn't, you definitely shouldn't uh, do that again, please. Okay. There's every, everything in DIY has nuance. I mean, everything in life has a nuance. Like there are very, very, very few absolutes. So this would, in, this would uh, include my tarp would be terrible if I was going camping like right now where it's like monsooning outside. However, the times that I've used it for the record, I'm not saying that if you're, if you're going to spend money on a tarp, unless you have many others that suit, don't, don't do this. But I, what I am saying is that this tarp is great if like the times that I've used it have been strictly just for fun. Like 
uh, like when I was quarantined, I just took it out into the woods and used it as a sunshade because it was like 95 degrees that week and just like hung it up as a sunshade, right? If you just wanted to kind of block wind, that would kind of do it, right? If you just wanted to have something and wanted to make a tarp that you could have as a sunshade, as like a, um, for instance, I made actually like a small tent for my goddaughter that was also out of this because I knew it was never going to use as rain. It was strictly just for, for fun. It was a sunshade. It's a, it's a cheap fabric that looks nice, that feels decent, right? So there, everything has nuance and has a reasonable application. But again, if you wanted to actually go camping, please, for the love of God, do not buy a 1.6 Hyper-D. Yeah, so I think what we can take from what Jameson's saying is fundamentally that if you want a tarp that functions as a tarp in any <laughs> way or fashion or form, do not do what he did. If you want to make a sunshade, A, please call it a sunshade. Don't call it a tarp because those are not the same. And B, use sil poly or sil nylon. Um, so to get into the different materials that you would use for a tarp, you, you basically have four options. You've got sil poly, you've got sil nylon, you have PU coated polyester or nylon, and you have Dyneema composite fabric. Those are your basic four options. Um, so Kyle and I covered the, the fundamental differences between sil poly and sil nylon in the Q and A, uh, but very quickly, I'll just say that my preference would be sil poly because in general, it stretches less when wet and it also has higher UV resistance. Um, but sil nylon is a little bit stronger in general because nylon is stronger in general, but a lot of that strength comes from the coating. Um, so I want to pick the fabric that stretches the least and has the most UV resistance. And so that's what I would go with. Um, as far as weight goes, they're, they're basically the same. That's not going to matter. Um, PU coated materials. Uh, we have a lot of customers that, that use that um, in different spots. Uh, I don't think that a PU coated material is best suited as a tarp. I think it's better for like a floor or maybe a backpack or some other items like that. Um, and that's just because of the weight and also the fact that only one side of the material is coated. So the other side could still be subject to absorption. Much uh, on average, like what would a coated fabric weigh in addition to a non-coated? Uh, I mean, so I think like our base, our base uh, sil nylon and the way the, in the industry works is that we label that as 1.1 ounce sil nylon. And I think- Realizing that there's an additional, like a finished weight. Yeah, so the finished weight is like 1.35. So it, it doesn't add much. Okay. Um, but that's just the way that you label it so that people know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, uh, so that's the fourth option, PU coating. It's fine. It's totally waterproof. You could totally use it. But in general, you're not going to find many lightweight PU coated fabrics. They tend to be like, for instance, I, we do have um, some, some of the lighter weight, like 1.1 Sil Poly PU 4000, which has a super high waterproof rating. But it also, uh, PU coating lowers the tear strength. Um, because, uh, well, for a few reasons, but one of those um, is that I think, I think this is right. Now I'm questioning myself because everybody's listening. Uh, it stabilizes, uh, it stabilizes everything to the point where the tear strength, it, it reduces the slippage. So it allows the, the fabric to tear easier. Um, Never been read my book, so I think you're right. Who knows? And somebody wants to correct me, that's fine, but still don't use a PU coated material for a tarp unless you're looking. So the thing I'll say is that PU coated materials in general, we, we tend to see those more on heavier denier fabrics, which means that if you're looking to construct some uh, a tarp that will withstand, uh, if you listen to a previous podcast, uh, will withstand Kyle's assault on you with George Washington, a clone of himself and Mr. T, 
um, during the apocalypse. If, if you want something that will withstand that, then go with that. Um, but yeah, still waterproof, still cool. But for me, still poly is the way to go. Um, and your last choice there is Dyneema composite fabric, um, which is really my real true choice and what I would use when backpacking because Dyneema composite fabric is fundamentally waterproof. It's super easy to repair because you can just use some tape and tape over it, the Dyneema repair tape. Um, it's like, like I said, it, it's half the weight of anything else, um, but it's expensive as shit. So like if you're getting into DIY, like I have made my own Dyneema tarps and they're cool, but I would still, and this goes back to my previous statement, I would still purchase those nine out of 10 times. In uh, as a synopsis here, Carter's go-to primary tarp 0.51 DCF. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I don't want to discourage people from making their own because I think for most people that's like really cool and still the way to go. But I think it's just because I've made enough of them where I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm mostly, I'm just a lazy person. Um, but the, the other cool thing about Dyneema, um, outside of the, the like super, super, super lightweight and the ease of repair is also that it's just like, it, it bumps your status from like kind of serious to like hardcore. Like if someone sees you with that, they're like, you know what? That guy gets, he gets it. Like he, he knows. He, it's, it, it, it's cred. You get a lot of street cred. Yes. Um, but yeah, those are your, those are your basic options. Um, I think that, yeah, the, any of those choices besides, honestly, I just wouldn't use a PU coated fabric for a tarp. Um, people out there do that. And uh, if their product specifically has an application that deems it necessary to need to use PU for whether it's needing like extreme waterproofing, um, or uh, more stiffness because it just, it does change the flexibility or uh, being able to go up and higher end near then fine. Um, but yeah, I think still poly is a really good balance. So uh, top two favorites, tarp fabrics, what would you say they are for you? Uh, I would, I would definitely say that uh, if I was making my own tarp. On non-DCF, because obviously if that would be the most ideal, right? The, like the, the technical best, but non-DCF, top two favorite fabrics. Yes. Your favorite. Go ahead. Uh, I would definitely just, I actually, there isn't a top two. There's a one and it's 1.1 silk poly. I'd use that every time. Um, I would use silk nylon for other things. And we'll get into that right now, which is uh, tents. Like what are the best materials for tents? And I think that in general, what we just mentioned is exactly the same. Uh, the difference with tents is that you have different, different styles of tents because tents are really like a tarp with a floor and possibly an inner shell. So you have uh, double wall tents versus single wall tents. So um, you're gonna use a combination of like bug netting and uh, a tarp or like a rainfly material. And then you're also going to use uh, probably a breathable material if you have an inner um, so that you can get out as much condensation as possible. Um, so uh, my choice for a tent, uh, again, would, would be Dyneema, right? I think that that material is just perfectly designed to use in a tent. I would use different weights. I would use like 0.51 or the 0.67 camo just because it cuts a little bit of the light because Dyneema is pretty transparent uh, for the for the rainfly. Uh, I would probably do a single wall similar to something from Z-Packs and I would do like a 1.0 for the floor. But for me, a tent, if I'm going to use a tent, like I talked about earlier, 
I'm going to make it the lightest that it can be. And Dyneema allows me to make it bigger and still just as light. So that's why I'm going that. And there's the ease of repair and you can waterproof it and seam seal it by literally just putting some tape on it. You don't need to use a messy seam sealer. Um, you don't need to do anything like that. What you're saying is I shouldn't seam seal my 1.6 Hyper D tarp? Well, there's nothing to seam seal because it, it's not waterproof in any way at all. So all, all of our fabrics uh, have the DWR coating on them, which means that if you get a few drops of rain on them, they're not going to immediately like soak through, but they will soak through. Like you can, uh, a good test for this is take some samples, take, take one six hyper D and take 1.1 seal poly, just the circular sample that we sell. It's like the five inch sample and put that under the faucet, right? Put, take, take the material and put it around your, your kitchen faucet and pull the, what's that thing called? The thing that you pull the puller, pull the puller, <laughs> the lever, the whatever. I don't know what the, the handle? I, yeah, the hand, you know what I'm talking about. This, like, turning the faucet on. Yeah, turn the faucet on. Okay. I don't know. Is there a technical term? There, every plumber out here is like fucking so pissed at me. But like the, th the, the, the handle, turn it, turn the water on, right? And have it up there and see how quickly the water goes through the 1.6 Hyper D. It'll be like in, you know, two seconds. An at-home hydrostatic head test. Um, we'll say that that's what that is. But... <laughs> Also, I don't recommend actually doing that. It was more for illustration purposes because if you do that, the sill poly isn't going to absorb any water and you're going to create a fucking fountain that shoots straight up in the air toward the ceiling and whoever's around you is going to be really upset and probably you are too. So don't, don't do that. I said as a kid, I used to do this. When you put like a rubber band around the, the, uh, the sink hose so it sprays whoever's in front of it, this can be the new sink hose. Just take your one one, one sill poly and shoot whoever's close by. Okay. Um, we've devolved. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think that basically the same logic that I'm applying to tarps uh, still applies to tents, except for the fact that you have that similar triad of, of criteria that you're asking yourself, right? That trio where you're saying for a tent, you have a few different pieces. Are you going to make it double wall or single wall? Double wall obviously gives you the benefit of flexibility. And if it's not raining, you don't need to use the rain fly. Um, you're going to seriously affect the amount of condensation that's there, which is great, but it's heavier and it's bulkier. And if you're making it yourself, it's more to make. Um, so that, and then single wall obviously is the opposite of all that. So it's lighter, it's simpler to make sometimes. Um, I've done, so my background in camping is, is scout camping. And that part of that first conversation I had with Carter, one of those first weeks that I worked here about hammocks was also about tents and floorless shelters. And I am, I'm not a backcountry, well, I'm backcountry enthusiast. I don't spend a lot of time in the backcountry, should we say. I spend a lot of time thinking about doing that and, and training to go be there, not a lot of time actually there. So I'm not going to give a deep knowledge there. But if you are considering making a tent, definitely look at your tarp options as well. There's always a place for a tent, I would say, because I don't want to be, I don't like ultimatums to be like, oh, there's no, never a place for this. But Florida shelters have a huge place, specifically if you're looking at cutting weight um, and or really simplifying things. I would say that uh, one thing that you touched on is like you spend a lot of time thinking and preparing to be in the backcountry is true for everybody listening to this, right? We all wish that we could be out there more, especially me. Um, 
But yeah, I think the same logic applies to tents. The only thing is you're, you're looking at that trio and you're saying, all right, so for the bug netting on my tent, for the bug screen, that's going to keep the bugs out. Do I want the most durable or do I want the lightest or do I want the middle ground? So in our case, we have the 0.9 Noceum, which is the standard that most people are using. Uh, Warbonnet's probably using that. Dreamhammock's using that. Uh, that's your most durable option. Still relatively lightweight. Um, uh, but uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the 0.5 NS50 Noceum, which is extremely light. Not that durable. I personally, Sorry, Kyle, wouldn't use this material, but some people use it. I think uh, Trailheads Hammocks uh, is using that material uh, in all of their hammocks and they're, they're having great results with it. So I do think that it's, uh, it has, for people that are, that know what they're using and they know what they're doing and they're really into the ultralight scene and they know how to take care of their gear, the NS50 is the lightest option that you're gonna find anywhere, which is cool. I but for that's, me- that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just making sure that they're Noceum, uh, Yes, um, but there's a middle ground, which is what I like, which is the 0.67. Um, I think it, it's uh, from a maker's perspective, uh, the NS50 is pretty damn hard to sew. It's like pretty stretchy. Uh, Jameson has firsthand experience with that. Um, he tried to make a bivy and I looked, the first thing I did when I, before I even saw, like it was actually really cool, but the first thing I saw was that mesh. And I was like, hmm, have you made one of these before? And he was like, no. And I was like, Carter goes, so how was making it? And I was like, this was incredibly hard. He goes, yeah, you used a terrible mesh. <laughs> sure. And, and like I said, I think uh, that mesh certainly has like some pretty awesome characteristics if you are ready for the challenge. Like it's there, just like our hammock fabrics, it's there for a certain reason. It's not for everyone. And that's what makes it cool. Um, but the 0.67, I think is a good balance. That's what I typically use. Uh, so for a tent, that's what I would use as, as the bug screen, right? It's It's got some durability, but it's still a bit lighter than, than anything else that's out there. Um, and then the last thing that I would say uh, for a tent is you got to consider the floor because you're not going to use the same fabric for the floor that you would use for the rain fly. Most likely you could, but in general, you want to make that a little more durable um, just because it's going to see the most abrasion. If you're using a ground sheet or not, it doesn't matter. I think you're still going to have that. That could be on rocks or sticks. Obviously your body's going to be on it and most companies uh, go up in denure when doing that. I do see something that's really weird in the industry. And I actually talked to a Nemo rep when I was at Trail Days last. A, I asked them like why they weren't using more polyester in their tent designs. So I thought it was interesting that they kept using nylon when in my opinion, in most aspects, it's inferior as a rainfly material. But I also asked them like why they were using such a lightweight, like they were using like a seven denure floor. Wow. Which I, again, I think I'm also like on that spectrum of saying like, oh, okay, well for a very specific amount of people, that's totally okay. They know exactly how to use this. They're gonna use it very specifically. But for most people, a seven denier floor, I would not use that. Um, so I think that's a weird trend in the industry, but it's, it's because they're trying to cut weight wherever they can. Um, but yeah, I think uh, for a tent, I would use, if I had to use a, if I wasn't going to use Dyneema, I would use 1.1 Sil Poly for the fly. I would use 0.67 Noceum Mesh for the screen and the number three zipper. Uh, and for the floor, I would probably use like maybe, I, I don't know. It depends. I, I might use Dyneema for the floor. Can I do that? I don't know. Yeah. But say what Dyneema would, you would use if you could say yes. I would use 1.0 Dyneema for the floor, but if I couldn't, I would probably use... Um, 
I don't know. I would, I would choose 1.6 sil poly, or I might choose a PU coated like 1.6 P uh, hyper DPU uh, just cause that PU gives it a little grip. And um, but yeah, either, either one of those, I think I would. Use. All right. I'm going to give you a quick challenge here because this will be difficult for you uh, in one sentence or less. Give us your brief synopsis on tarps or like floorless shelters versus tents. Um, one, one, one sentence or less. You have very few words. It depends on what you're comfortable with. Perfect. That's kind of what I was hoping for. What, uh, I guess <laughs> I've been horribly distracted by the <laughs> consumption of Dorito chips. Um, I was just, just to be clear, sorry for the interruption, but I was just aggressively licking a Dorito with no shame. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Just for, for whatever it's worth, spicy, sweet, chili Doritos. Doritos, you're more than welcome to sponsor this podcast. We're available. And uh, Carter and I have consumed copious amounts of these chips over the last week. Okay, so one thing I want to say real quick. like uh, uh, To be honest, um, uh, one goal of this podcast is to keep everything on topic because I like to talk about stuff that's not on topic. But I need to say this. I took Jameson to Taco Bell for like the first time. He had never had it. Who doesn't like Taco Bell? <laughs> That's true. I, I really hope two of my college friends don't listen to this because they'll be really frustrated because they went to Taco Bell like probably seven times a week, maybe more. And uh, I was never really a part of that. But yes, I did have my uh, Virgin Taco Bell experience <laughs> last week on voting day. He also hadn't had cookout uh, like directly from cookout. So I took him there as well. Um, if you're listening in, in the South, I don't know where all cookout is, but definitely only in the South. Um, you know that it's absolute fire, but he hadn't had that either. Um, to uh, Jameson's wife, Catherine, I'm sorry that I am also making him thick with two C's, but it's so worth it. Caloric intake has taken a serious turn for the worst since doing Carter. <laughs> spicy, spicy, sweet, or chili Doritos, cookout, Taco Bell. For the record, whatever Carter and I eat together, nothing... There's nothing reasonable or balanced about it. Like Carter, Carter orders Taco Bell. I, I look down and there are six, six <laughs> meals from Taco Bell. And he ate it faster than I did. So he's trying to shame me and yet he absolutely destroyed it. All right. But okay. I, I told you I was going to get back to quilts. Yeah, I, I was going to get, I told you I was going to get off topic and I did. And now I'm back. Um, Side note. Our other goal with this podcast is to never take ourselves too seriously. DIY is fun. It's creative. It's energetic. Uh, Doritos, Taco Bell, and Cookout will always be a part of our podcasts. As they are also a part of our everyday lives, unfortunately, for our cholesterol. Um, so the next one, quilts. Another huge one, but I also think that I can simplify this pretty easily. And I think, again, I'm going back to that that trio of things that you're that criteria right you have durability you have weight and you have price uh for me honestly and this is probably something that we're going to differ on um mostly because you you know you've rated the free employee fabric bin like a lot um but that's fine um for me cost yeah it's not that uh i necessarily am uh, wealthy in any way which i'm not it's more so just that i I, I don't care about cost for outdoor items because I want to get the best that I possibly can the first time. 
And also because I've already done what you're doing, which is buy, like, which is use the free stuff. And then I've figured out, okay, this is the best for me. Um, but for me, it's more of like a duo. It's more like I have weight and I have durability for this application. Do I want it to be more durable or do I want it to be the absolute lightest weight? And that's how I make my decision for a quilt. So for example, um, this is kind of a weird thing to say, but some people have like rough heels and you would think that that sounds like outrageous and that's not that's super off topic and we're trying to take you back on this doritos weird ride that you wish we would stop but in reality like i have rough heels so yes i use like a pet egg i try to make it better but at the end of the day for my foot box and my quilt i tend to want to use a little bit more durable material because i'm worried that i'm gonna like abrade it uh, prematurely yeah that, i mean that, okay so if i in this in the true sense of focus and staying on topic, that is an incredibly important point to go over everything that we touch on, how you are going to use something and how it's going to, how you like individually are going to use it. Not necessarily like backcountry or not, but how you camp, how you pack your things, what type of pack you need, how you store it. Those are all very, very worthwhile to, to think about before you go in and make something. So although I'm struggling very much to get over, uh, your your feet comments um that's a great point um yeah and that's just to illustrate kind of the 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 thought process behind whenever you're you're trying to pick out a quilt fabric like in general i think all the quilt fabrics that we offer including the 70 uh calendared fabrics um are all durable enough like i have never had a problem with having a quilt that failed even with my crusty heels there's never been an issue with uh with, with that um, but for some people that's more important or maybe they're not in a hammock and they're on the ground and they, they're going to see more abrasion or like whatever the case may be. It, it depends on your shelter choice, where you're choosing to camp. Um, and some of that is just peace of mind. It's okay to want to have, if, if you're worried about one of your pieces of gear failing out in the woods and you want something bomb proof, then get something more durable. That's totally fine. Um, but my choice for uh, a quilt, what I have right now. I would say uh, I use the membrane 10.66 for basically everything. Um, these are for down quilts. Um, and for the summer where I want the lightest possible weight uh, that I can get uh, so I can really like dial down what, what my uh, gear load looks like, I use our uh, membrane 7, 7D, which is an awesome fabric. And honestly, eventually I'll probably upgrade everything to, to using that. Uh, quilts are, are again following that same that same idea is like okay uh, we have the 1.0 hyper d calendar which is on the higher end and the 1.1 ounce uh, ripstop calendar uh, both of those are awesome fabrics they have great downproof ratings they look good we have a ton of colors to choose from and they're an awesome they're they're inexpensive they're they're an awesome pick um, for somebody that's making their own stuff for the first time and they don't want to spend too much and they're still relatively light, but it, they, as you go down, you get less durability um, and more cost. I realized how, how much of an amateur I am by, by me uh, referring to this question. So uh, a couple months ago, I asked Carter, I said, hey, why would you never, or would you ever make a quilt or sitting bag with a waterproof material? And obviously he was like, absolutely not pleased to uh, do not do that. You're going to mold the crap out of your insulation and it's going to ruin it. So in addition to that, Carter, could you explain um, 
a lot of people, they might know what calendared fabrics are, right? It's a sealed yarn. It's something that's downproof. Why would a calendared fabric work over a, over a waterproof fabric? Because to some people, those might seem sort of equivalent, right? Calendared is going to keep a lot of things in, keep it kind of trapped. Waterproof fabric will keep it trapped. Why would a calendared fabric not rot your yarn or your uh, insulation rather um, like a waterproof would? So I wouldn't necessarily say that like using a waterproof fabric for one part of your quilt would like ruin it and like make it mold up or something and give you uh, mesothelioma or whatever. I think that's actually due to asbestos exposure, but you, you get the point. Sorry for anybody who I feel like that's probably insensitive. We should cut that out. All right. So it's not. <laughs> All right. I got a boss there. <laughs> Side note, if, if this makes the recording, I don't know if it will or not, but I feel like a disclaimer is important here. Uh, Carter is uh, Carter is one of the most thoughtful people you will ever meet. Um, but the part of his thoughtfulness, like his awareness of what you are going through and his empathy towards you is manifest, uh, manifested in jokes. So if you, it's again, not that uh, mesothelioma is not a very real thing, is that Carter has empathy towards you because he's making a joke of it. If he didn't make a joke of it, you would never get teased. I also have empathy towards the people that have seen that commercial like 7,000 times and say, if you were a loved one to have mesothelioma, please call, you know. That's more what I was talking about. Not necessarily to diminish uh, the, the victims of a horrible disease, more so just to say that uh, we've all been there and we really wish that Judge Judy would come back on. Um, we're getting back to... Uh, we were talking about waterproof fabric versus calendared fabric. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So I, I don't know that using a waterproof fabric would like ruin your project. It's just that in general, your quilt is something that's designed to be inside of your shelter, whether that's under a tarp and in your hammock or under your tarp and that's it, or in your tent. Like you don't need your quilt to be waterproof unless you have a shitty shelter. Like there's no reason, like what you want it to be is breathable. Um, you want it to have wind resistance just in case, because in general, like a calendar fabric that holds down is always going to be wind resistant, but you want it to hold in some heat, but you need it to breathe because your body, you, like you don't want condensation on your feet. You don't want those crusty heels to also be soggy, crusty heels. <laughs> this is like ASMR. I know. Um, of course. All right. So what's, could you explain a little bit? I, we're, we're running quite long and that's okay. We're doing a I think good work. Um, but could you dive a little bit into like air permeability versus wind resistance? Uh, yeah. So I would say in general, those are, uh, kind of the same thing, right? Air permeability is, is the ability for air to pass through a, a given fabric. Maybe breathability versus wind resistance in a way, like how if you hold up a fabric and breathe through it, it'll show something, but like the wind passing by will not cut through as, uh, rapidly as other. So one thing I'll say is that air permeability and breathability are not the same thing. Um, so uh, air permeability uh, normally measured in CFM is like the amount of wind or air that's going to pass through something. So like, for instance, if you have uh, the 1.0 monolite that we talked about earlier in the 1.7 mountain, air will pass through the monolite faster um, or in, more than it will in the 1.7. Whereas breathability is measured in like MVTR, like the, the vapor transfer rate, um, the amount of water vapor or vapor that can pass through the material. So when you, for instance, when you say something is a waterproof breathable material, you're not saying that wind can pass through it. What you're saying 
or, or even necessary that you can breathe through it. What you're saying is that uh, vapor, uh, the way that the membrane is designed there, vapor water molecules can pass through the material while stuff coming in cannot. It's like a one-way barrier. My bad, I got my, got my terms mixed up there. Amateur hour over here. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that in general, you're looking for that balance. Uh, most of our calendar fabrics are, are all going to be fine. You're not going to have something that's going to be clammy and, and gross, but you will have some wind resistance, but you'll still have your insulation be able to loft up, uh, which is another important thing. If you use a waterproof fabric, then it makes it more difficult for the air to get trapped inside because you're blocking the air completely on one side. Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk on insulation more in another podcast, but that, that loft piece is huge. And with that waterproof fabric specifically, like any, any waterproof fabric we've ever used, everybody knows that it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a light breathable kind of flowy fabric, right? There's not a whole lot of action there. It's, it's a little bit, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's weighty, right? Like a water, like a, like a PU coated waterproof, anything, most things that are, are fully sealable like that do not have, uh, do not have the flow. <laughs> Definitely. So I think the last topic that we'll talk about today, um, we have a few left, but because we talked about crusty heels, Doritos, um, and cable TV, I think that we should shorten it because this is the most important one outside of hammocks uh, to me and one that you can also provide some insight on because you've made more backpacks. I think at this point you have made more backpacks in your life than I have. Although I've been making packs for five years. Depends if we count them as usable or not. <laughs> No, I don't think that matters. That's all part of the learning process. Uh, so backpack, I think in some ways is, is similar to the tent thought process, right? So it's not, there isn't, when you're making a backpack, you're really using like 10 materials, which is another reason why, although we're going to do it and I want to do it, um, we haven't come out with like a make your own backpack kit is because it just requires so many different materials to put all together. Um, a, a reason why it would be a cool kit so you don't have to buy it all but it also makes it a lot more difficult logistically to get all those pieces together. So what I mean by that is, you know, you have your backpack material. You might use two different types of materials materials on your backpack. One for the part that touches your back the most. So it has the most, uh, a lot of companies might use a thicker material for uh, the bottom and the back of the pack, the spots that are going to use, like the, they're going to see the most abrasion. And then for the rest of the body of the pack, they'll use something lighter. Thing that you're, everyone's catching on to, if not, you've already di completely dissected this on your own is that every single thing that you're using is incredibly unique. I mean, from, from every backpack to every quilt there, everyone that's made one, they're all a little bit different because that's why you do DIY because the mass market ones are not the right thing for what you're looking for. So even more with backpacks, I remember talking to Carter a couple of times about this, like, okay, what pack fabric would you use or what would you use for this? And every single time it was an extra seven questions about, but how are you using this? But why? What weight? What price? What are you using it for? What's it going to face? Um, it's not a perfect formula. We've sort of boiled it down in the, the latest ebook that will be coming out very, very soon. We, um, it's a DCF ebook, so you'll see that. But we, we are able to potentially oversimplify, but simplify it into the fact of what is the, what, 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 if you're looking at a pack and you're looking at what fabric you want to get there, we've kind of boiled down to three questions that you can ask yourself to get uh, an educated guess of what you're going to need. And those three questions are one, what, what, what is it? What are you looking to do? For instance, earlier this year, I made a running vest. So with a running vest, okay, that narrows it down some. 
the next question is what type of features do you want that to have? So for me, it was really important to me that this thing was waterproof. I wanted it to be able to go up against rocks, thorns, twigs. I wanted to take a pretty good beating. So, all right, incredibly abrasion resistance. And I also wanted it to be lightweight. All right, the final question Carter asked me was, is it more important that it is the lightest weight or that is the most durable? To me, the most durability was most important. I didn't really mind the weight that much, especially when you get down to some of these lighter fabrics, the weight seems minimal to me. So I said, okay, I want a running vest. I want it to be waterproof. I want it to be highly abrasion resistant and the durability is the most important. We eventually, I landed on, I, this was a personal choice, but there's a bunch of options. Um, he recommended the 292. I eventually chose um, the 5-2 woven Dyneema because I thought the horrendous color was was the best personally but those are kind of that's that's a good rubric that you can kind of work with to get down somewhere but there is no one answer you won't hear us give one answer for the best pack fabric because there isn't one um but yeah i think what what you brought up is is exactly what i was alluding to is like just like hammocks there are so many different parts of a backpack that there are so many different characteristics that you might be looking for that that's going to completely change what you what you need or want in a pack like for instance something as simple as how easy is it to seam seal might be the difference in do I use 420D aerobic, which is an awesome, like super burly, fab burly fabric or 5.0 DCF just because I can tape one and not the other. But at the same time, it's very expensive. And some of those construction methods that you could use on 420D, like for instance, you could just sew directly onto it and not worry about uh, a strap pulling out are not the same on the 5.0 DCF where you're, you're going to have to start thinking about, uh, do I need to reinforce this with something on the back? And do I need to tape it? So there's just a lot of things that go into making a backpack. I would still say, and I'm still going to fall back on that trio where you, you have cost, you have durability and you have weight, right? So when you're, uh, when you're looking at those options, um, kind of figure out where you are on that, in that realm and, and go from there on, on what you want to make. I do think that there are, in my eyes, there are some fabrics that I would always choose. The one thing we've done here is kind of talk about the differences and then say what we would use. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm really a fan of uh, the composites for this, the Dyneema composite or X-Pack. Um, I, I like the Dyneema more just because it's sexier um, in my opinion. And also you can tape it and repair it so easily. And it's really light. I do really like the new, and I'm planning on probably, I'm going to make some bike bags for sure. Um, and I also uh, am going to have, I've been talking to a few bike bag companies because Jameson and I have been getting into riding bikes pretty hardcore recently. We, uh, oh yeah, we did, we did some big miles this weekend and uh, well, taints don't lie. That's exactly right. I also did wreck the other day in somebody's driveway on Halloween. Greatest story. <laughs> I scorpion, my, my legs went over my head. Um, and everybody said I was a valiant hero for that. So I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. But anyway, so like the 3.9 Venom TPU is just an incredible fabric. We, Kyle and I talked about it in, in earlier podcasts, but it, it's, it's really awesome. I'm excited to, to do some more with it. Um, so that's a fabric that I would definitely include as one that I would use. So we have like the 2.92 DCF, the 3.9 Venom TPU. And I also really like the melange. Um, it, I think a, it's beautiful. And I also think that it's like just super durable while not being too heavy. And because it's PU coded, you can still use the repair tape, although it doesn't stick as well, you can still use it. So those would be my three, um, for just the body of the pack that I would use. Lunch is a, it's probably my favorite looking, one of my favorite looking materials here, just because Heather Gray is a fabulous color. And most of what we use is very, very, very technical. 
looking you know, like if you look at most dcfs it it looks great but it looks you you kind of look like you belong in the backcountry it, it can stand out kind of awkwardly in a city but the melange is absolutely fantastic that with the uh venom uhmwpe is also fantastic looking it's got that slight texture that is very underwhelming but still interesting yeah so i also want to turn this to you jameson so as you've made multiple backpacks in a lot of different fabrics and you've actually used one running a running an ultra recently like what uh what what fabric would you pick now hearing what i've said and from us talking and the research you've done like do your views align with mine or do you feel like uh no i'd still rather uh stick to something else like what what are your thoughts there um wow wow uh all right so that that running vest i, I made two running vests and it's it's a little bit embarrassing but this is the daoi process so um, some self-deprecation is not a bad thing. I, I dreamt of making a DCF or a, a fabric with Dyneema, should I say, uh, running vest that I would use on the day of, of my 50K. I made that vest. I love it. It's fantastic. I, I scaled up too much though. It's too big. It's like a 15 liter kind of fast pack style. It's a great vest and I will use it. Um, but I ended up not using that one on the extra, uh, on the actual, like on the, on the day of my ultra, I, what I did use is that I made a, a hyper D 300 vest. It worked great. I mean, the entire day poured, like it was, I, I ran it at Grayson Highlands, which if any of you have been there, you know, the, like it's known for having stunning views. It's a beautiful place to hike. It's really wonderful. There's tons of exposure. It's a really wonderful place, but you couldn't see more than 20 feet ahead of you. Like it was that kind of rain, like the, the rain that you only see in Appalachia on the East coast where it's just like coming down, spitting moist the whole day. And that pack was excellent. Like I had snacks, I had uh, three liters of water. I had a rain jacket. I had some emergency supplies like, and that pack was fantastic. So it did do really, really well. And I am a big fan of Hyper D 300. I don't know if I would build a pack out of Hyper D 300 outside of a like 10 liter running vest um, because it does, there is some, like you said earlier with that PU coating, it does have some uh, tear strength problems. I wouldn't make a 40 liter uh, backpacking pack out of that. I love it. And I have like a bag that I bring every day to work with like my basketball clothes that we shoot around and stuff. With I have that pack, but I don't know if I would make like a backcountry backpack with the Hyper D 300, even though, as you know, it's kind of one of my favorite fabrics just because how it looks and how it feels um, and, and how it sews. Yeah, the, I think the last thing I'll add there is a cool thing about Hyper D 300 in the way that uh, before I was even here that Kyle designed it was to be more flexible than most of the 300 denier pack fabrics out there. So it does have a really cool drape to it and it allows you to like for something like a running vest, it's awesome because it can kind of conform to you a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I just tend to like my packs to be more like stiff. Most of that is because in general, I use frameless backpacks. So any, any amount of, uh, vertical or I guess horizontal stiffness that I can have help me transfer and carry the weight better. Um, although a lot of construction techniques uh, can help that regardless of the fabric you choose, um, I tend to not use it. But I think that's good insight um, for something that I don't do, which is run ever, hopefully, unless I have to <laughs> from the police or uh, a vigilante dressed as Batman. Like I'm not running. Looking for though, which I'll be making, uh... I'll be making two or three packs this winter. I, I promised some friends and family that I would make packs for them with my newfound sewing skills. Um, skills used incredibly loosely there. Mainly I'm, I'm willing to spend copious amounts of time sewing and, and they are not. Um, all to say, I'm looking at making a couple packs coming up here. 
And I probably will do another Hyper-D 300 because somebody specifically asked for a gym bag. They want some, something they can take to the climbing gym. So it's going to be used pretty, um, it's going to be used frequently, but it's not going to be in like an outdoor setting where life and death is going to matter. They're not going to be throwing it up against a, a rock wall or anything like that. And then the other fabric, I'm 100% going to be using um, X-Pac VX07, VX15. I love those. I love the way they look. I love the way they feel. They're incredibly durable. They're waterproof. There's no reason not to use that. So coming up, I will be using those. And then I do have like a yard left of that 5-2 woven. So I'm feel inclined to use that also again it's like the worst color ever and i absolutely love it i don't know what it is my wife despises it every time she looks at it she like leaves the room but something about that atrocious nature of the neon is really attractive and it's it's dynamic you can't argue with it yeah i think that's fair i I, th- I do think it's also like i i agree with your sentiment that it's both a horrible color and also that makes it a beautiful color um i'm gonna go on a hike and see anybody else with it yeah and that's also part of it um yeah, so I think that pretty much wraps up that discussion. I think we could talk about this for seven hours, but yeah, we've done that. But yeah, I, I feel really good. And hopefully this this podcast helps you guys to at least get some insight into, uh, along with the content that we are creating and have created, will help you get some insight into picking your fabric for your specific project. Thank you again, uh, Michael, for sending in this question. I think it's uh, really awesome and I appreciate um, you sending that in. I also want to do a quick shout out to our customer service team. That is, well, I guess myself. So I'll shout out myself first, obviously. Shout out Carter. And Lance, our B2B consultant. Uh, Justin, our customer service lead. And Leslie, our logistics coordinator. Uh, you guys are awesome. Um, and if you guys have talked with them, you know that they're awesome. Uh, Shameless plug. Uh, we I, And like every piece of content we ever do, our customer service team is here to make your DIY dreams come true. It is their job to help you be successful here. Like we understand there's a really big gap to, to making DIY. That is feeling confident about your decision. They are here to help you reach out to them, ask some questions. Even if you feel like you're being a nag, that's okay. Like to us, the sale matters when you make something sex uh, successfully. So ask them your questions and make sure we get this right for you. For sure. And they're always there to help. That's why I shout them out. Cause they're, they're there for you. We're here for you as much as we can be. Send us an email, support at ripsupbytherole.com. You can also contact us directly through Zendesk. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here for you for sure. And oh yeah, also you can uh, contact Avery. Again, shout out to Avery. She's the greatest. Um, uh, through our different social media platforms, she's there for you as well. Um, in general, we're here for you. Unless you're an unsavory person, we'll be there for you but we will not be happy about it. No, but uh, housekeeping stuff, new episode coming in two weeks. Last podcast, I said that bi-weekly schedule. We're not doing this two times a week. It's bi-monthly schedule. I messed that up and I, I had to get it right. But two weeks from now, we'll talk again. Um, again, that ebook is coming out very, very shortly. So keep your eyes peeled. There's content coming out daily from us. Um, if you have questions, you have concerns, you have things you want to know, you want us to make a graphic of, let us know. Um, our content calendar is there to help empower you and educate you. Um, Carter, what else are we missing? Um, I would say the only thing that we're missing here is for me to say, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And, uh, one thing that I'll ask from from anybody that's listening, please, please, please send us feedback, whether that's through Instagram or the, the email support at ripsupbytheroll.com. Uh, in any avenue uh, that you can, please send us feedback on this podcast. I know that we're still, you know, we're still in the infancy of this thing. 
Um, but we think that this is a, a pretty awesome platform. Uh, and, but we, the whole point of this is to talk about things that, that you guys want to hear and to, and to get excited together about what we're doing and, and what we can do. So please, like, even if the feedback is, you know what, that Carter guy, kind of a douche, I don't want to hear him talk anymore, I won't be on it again. Um, I promise. Like, please give us feedback. If you can take the time to do that, I would really appreciate it. And our team would really appreciate it. So thanks everybody for listening and, right. um, have drink good beer, make good beer. That's right. Thank you.